Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. This morning we're in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, we'll be reading verse 15 through 23. Um, and I'll go ahead and read it. And I'm reading out of the uh, English Standard Version. Verse 15 says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God bless the reading of his word. Hey, uh, with that, as you take a seat uh, this morning, we're going to um, invite uh, Pastor Matt Trexler. Um, I'm going to let him introduce himself, but we, we got to know him. He's a good friend of Alex, and uh, he's also involved in the same ministry that Alex is. And um, Matt, we're excited you're here, man. Thank you for, for joining us and, and sharing with us. No worries. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Um, uh, my name is Matt Trexler. I work with Reformed University Fellowship at UCLA, which is a better school than where Alex is at. Thank you. Yes. We are Christians. We must speak the truth to one another, right? Putting away all falsehood, right? So let's tell the truth in love, and UCLA is a greater school. So, um, <laughs> no. I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. I'm going to take a break from Revelation. We're going to look at Ephesians, one of my favorite passages. But before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this Father's Day. Lord, we thank you that you are a good Father to us. And some of us maybe even here, or we know people who have struggled with their earthly fathers. But Lord, I pray that you will teach us what you are like. Father, I pray that you will heal us. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you show us your Son, that it is Him that we see and worship and adore today. Father, we need to know His name. Lord, I pray that even as I preach this word, I pray that you cause me to disappear and stand behind the cross and that it is Jesus that we see, Jesus that we worship, and Jesus that we leave today more like. Would you give this through the power of your Spirit by grace? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as a kid, one of my favorite movies was The Lion King. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, but it's about Simba, right, who he is the son of Mufasa, who was unfortunately killed by his evil uncle Scar. And Simba has to go out into the wilderness, into exile, and it's there that he meets Timon and Pumbaa, this meerkat and this warthog. And they have this philosophy called Hakuna Matata. It means no worries, which means the rest of your days, right? And they kind of, you know, chilling out maxing and relaxing all cool the whole time, right? Until Nala, I think is her name, right? She comes back to Simba and she says, you got to come back home. You've got to come back. You know, you're the rightful heir. You're the king. And Timon and Timon's like, wait, you're a king? You? And Simba's like, no, I'm the same guy. I'm a normal guy. 
And Timon says, yeah, but with power, right? And I want you to think about that idea because we all want to be close to someone with power, right? We, the world is open to us, right? We know this in, in, in Los Angeles, right? You can get your foot in the door based on who you know. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And I work with college students and UCLA students. It's not their grades that they're always worried about, though they do worry about that. It's their internships, right? That's the thing. And they, and they complain to me. They say, Trex, they're like, I don't understand, you know, like I, I have all these skills, but I don't know the right people because it's who you know. We want to know people with power and influence, but we also want to attain that power and influence ourselves. And Paul the Apostle tells us in this passage that we are connected to someone who is power incarnate, power in person. And if that seems trite or even confusing to you, I'm glad you're here today because Paul is going to pray with us that the eyes of our, our eyes, our eyes are opened The eyes of our heart are enlightened to see the glorious inheritance that belongs to us. And we are connected to a power. And this is not a power to get a new job. This is not a power to climb the ladder. This is not a power to, you know, get better grades or get in shape, as important as those things may be. This is a power to live out the will of God, to shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. It is the power of to live the life that Christ has called us to live. It has been a hard year and a half, and the headlines sometimes, they just seem to revel in how hard things really are. But what we need is a power that will bring hope. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And do you know what Paul says in this passage? That the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. Do you know what that means? That the power that raised Jesus from the dead is currently at work in this church. What does that mean? Because it doesn't feel like that on a Tuesday sometimes, does it? We might even feel powerless. We might feel discouraged. Maybe it's in our pursuit to live a good life or to pursue holiness or to love our family or even to make a difference in our community. And we can ask, is God really at work in me? Is God really at work in us? And Paul wants us to know that the answer is a resounding yes. The power that God, the power to bring this all about, God has generously supplied. So what I want to do is I'm going to walk through this passage, and we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the benefits of this power, the source of the power, and finally the location of that power. So the benefits, the source, and the location. First, the benefits. He says, I pray that your eyes may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now, first, we need to know about this. When Paul says you, he means y'all. Okay, I'm from the South, so y'all. When he says yours, he means y'alls's. I don't know, whatever the plural of that is, right? So he says, I want your eyes to be enlightened. I want y'all's eyes to be enlightened. What does he mean by that? What is he talking about? Well, in verses 3 through 14, he has said that the church, you all, have actually gone through this incredible 
transformation, this change to where you've been chosen by God from the very foundations of the world. You've been forgiven of all of your sins. You've been adopted into his family. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you have this incredible inheritance. And Paul's just kind of like doing this giant run-on sentence. Verses 3 through 14 in the Greek is one long run-on sentence where Paul's like, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And his mind has been blown open by what the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has accomplished. He's not writing some academic paper just like, all right, this happened, and then this, and this. Instead, he's like a captain of a ship that's discovered uncharted waters for the first time, and a new world has been opened up through Christ, and he's laying it out like a map for this small church to understand and see. And he says, I want you to know all that is true of you. I want you to know what it is that is true of you. I want you, uh, your eyes to see the glory of what Christ has done for us. Um, I uh, love these. There's this YouTube video series where these famous athletes kind of dress up as old men, right? And they kind of prank people. Uh, and there's one particularly Kyrie Irving, um, who's on the Brooklyn Nets now. May they rest in peace. Um, and uh, he was on the Celtics at the time, and he kind of dresses up as this old man named Uncle Drew, right? And he's, he's got, he's, they've, they put a wig on, and he has a makeup artist kind of transform his person to this, this old man. And he kind of goes out onto this basketball court, and no one knows who he is at the time, right? And, like, everyone's just out there playing basketball, and he has to play with them. And, you know, they're these young guys, and they're nice, and they're like, sure, you can play with us. And, you know, and he's just like, he can't dribble, and he's like, you know, shooting bricks, and they're like, oh, why is this guy playing with us? This is terrible. And then all of a sudden, he just cranks it up a little bit, right? He starts shooting a three. They're like, oh, old man just scored, right? And then he like steals it from somebody, goes up on a fast break, throws it off the backboard, catches it, tomahawk, dunks it. People are losing their mind, like what in the world? Big reveal, it's Kyrie Irving, and people are like, what? And y'all, that's Christianity, Here's what I mean by that. I'm a college pastor, so go with me here. Um, I t sometimes my college students think of Christianity as this old-time religion. It's just, what does it have to actually do for people's lives now, right? It's just something that, like, used to exist or used to kind of be important, but it doesn't really have any relevance right now. But then it shows up on the court of your life, right? And the person who's at the center of it, he reveals himself, and he's more amazing than you could ever imagine or think. He actually starts tomahawk dunking on your life, right? Um, go with that. But someone who has appeared old and irrelevant is actually extraordinary. And some of us, maybe even today, we find ourselves here bored with Christianity or church. And Christianity has been kind of this thing that's been reduced to learning insider lingo or getting really emotional when you sing oceans or living by some moral code that's very restrictive. And so we're kind of, we feel like sometimes we're cramped into this cul-de-sac of boredom. And we're like, what does the church really have to do? What is Christianity really saying? And Paul is saying, I want your eyes to be open to the truth. And he prays that they will see two things. This is part of the benefits, a new identity and a new horizon. First, that new identity. He says, I want you to know that you are not a hopeless failure. You are not a hopeless failure. Do you know who you are? You are God's beloved. And you are in his beloved Paul prays that they see themselves in Christ, and he prays they see the extraordinary value which God places on each and every one of them. God views them as belonging to his beloved 
son and then estimates them accordingly. Do you know who you are? I know that you struggle with sin. I know that you struggle with temptation. I know that you have hurt others and have been hurt by others. Maybe you're here today and you're saddled with debt, riddled with shame. All you see is your brokenness that's hindering you from growing in holiness. All you can see maybe is the disappointment that you feel like you are or the myriad ways that you just feel stuck. But that is not the truth of who you are. You are God's beloved. And you are in the beloved. And you are forgiven. And you are loved. Erwin Entz, who uh, helped me really understand this passage, said, Faith in Jesus Christ does not mean that we no longer bear the traces of our former selves. It means that we are now God's beloved and God sees His Son in you. And He is very pleased. Do you know how much God loves His Son? This is Father's Day. I mean... It says that the Father was staring at Jesus before the foundation of the world. We always ask the question, what was God doing before He created us? He was looking at His Son. He was face to face with Him because His Son is so beautiful. And now you are in His Son. You are in the Beloved. And the Father looks at you and He sees the beauty that He is making you into and that you are. Verse 18, that he prays they would know the riches of his glorious inheritance. Let's look about this word, inheritance. What says inheritance? What does God get out of all of this? Deuteronomy 7, you are my treasured possession. You are. I know maybe you struggle to believe that. And that's why Paul is praying that your eyes will see the truth. In the Old Testament... Uh, I was studying this this week, where the, the high priest, when he would go into the Holy of Holies, he was wearing what's called an ephod, ephod, I don't know, whatever, ephod, right, this kind of apron, and there were 12 jewels that were on it that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, when the high priest would go in and he was bearing the people's sins, but God said, even when, I, when you bring in the sins of my people, I am looking at those 12 jewels. Because those jewels represent what my people are like. Now Jesus, according to the New Testament, is our high priest who has borne away all of our sin. And right now Jesus is in the presence of the Father. And Jesus does not come empty-handed. You are the jewels that he brings into his presence. That is who we are. What if you believed that? Dallas Willard, who I love, said, God never loves anyone without liking them. God never loves anyone without liking them. Do you see God as rejoicing over you or just tolerating you? Paul prays that our eyes will see our true identity, but not just our true identity, but our new horizon. He says, I pray that your eyes may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What is that hope? See, God actually knows what he's doing with your life. I don't don't always know what I'm going to be doing with my life, but God knows what he is doing with my life. He has a blueprint for your life, and that blueprint tells him where to start, and that blueprint is Jesus. He is making you into the image of his son. 
He sees you in his son, and he is making you into that image. He is committed to that. What does that mean? That power to live the life that God has called you to live, that self-denying, self-sacrificing, truth-telling, promise-keeping, neighbor-loving, hope-filled, Jesus-believing, God-glorifying life, that is the horizon of your life. That is where you are going. Not, oh, I hope so, like I hope that it you know, I hope that the Clippers don't win the national championship, whatever. Like, no, this is a real, sure, I'm not a Clippers fan. There's a real, sure, and certain hope. God says, this is going to happen. This is your destiny. This is where you are going. What God has started, God completes. He who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. He will. This is where you are going. Those whom God called, he is also glorified. It's, Paul even talks about it in the past tense. It has not even happened yet. Why? Because it is so certain. You are going to be made like Christ. That is the horizon of your life. This is not an impassable mountain to climb, but a sure and certain hope. Because Jesus is more dedicated to your growth than you are. He is dedicated to making you holy. And he's going to finish it. Grace is God setting his favor on you and then acting on it. See, grace is not just forgiveness, though it includes that. Grace is also transformation. Grace is not just favor, it's empowerment. Grace is making you like Christ. And what that means, what I want you to hear, church, is that the weakest, most struggling, most sinful believer has the exact same Christ as the strongest believer. And God will see to it that his work is finished. How do we know, though? How do we know this is going to happen? What's the, what's the guarantee? What's the source of this power? This is my second point, which is the source. Paul prays in verse 19 that they will know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. On the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, it is to your benefit that I go away. They're like, what, bro? What are you talking about? What do you mean? How is this to our benefit? We want you to stay with us. He says, no. Because when Jesus is actually going to die and then be raised again, he's actually going to ascend to the right hand of God, and he's going to pour out his spirit on his people. You're going to have the very spirit of Christ. You're like, okay, but what does that mean for me? What does that mean on a Tuesday? And sometimes we can hear all these things that I'm saying. You know, you're like, yes, I'm made like Christ. And yes, you know, God's going to make all things new. He's going to make all wrongs right. The new world is going to be, is going to be filled with justice, justice and peace and righteousness. But how do we know? How do we know this is not pie in the sky theology? How do we know this is not some nice fairy tale that we all tell each other to feel good about ourselves? How do we know that this is actually going to happen? Well, people don't just get raised from the dead, do they? But yet, in this space-time history, 2,000 years ago, a man rose from the grave. His name was Jesus. And what the scriptures teach us is that Jesus was the teaser trailer of what God's going to one day do for the whole world. He's going to make 
all things new. Christ is the first fruits of the new creation that is coming. And do you know what he has given us? He has given us his spirit, Paul says in Ephesians, as a down payment, as a guarantee of the inheritance that is to come. Now, like I said, I'm a college student. I mean, I'm not a college. I'm a college pastor. I work with college students. Um, So I want you to imagine for a second that you're in college, okay? If you are in college, you don't do that much of an imaginative work. But let's pretend that you're in college right now. You're worried about tuition and all that kind of stuff. and, And you go to your campus mailbox. And you find in there a letter. The Michael G. Scott Dunder Mifflin Lifetime Scholarship Achievement Award, okay? Right? I love the office. And you open it up, and it says, congratulations, you have received the Michael G. Scott Lifetime Achievement Award. What this means is that all of your UCLA tuition is paid for, for the next four years. And not only that, all your books, all your room, all your board, all your food, and not only that, you are guaranteed a 4.0 GPA summa cum laude when you graduate. You don't even have to study. You can just enjoy all of college and you get the internship and then the job of your choice in the city of your choice with the company of your choice. Congratulations. And you're like, this sounds like that fake scholarship that pastor was telling me about. What are you talking about? You know, and but then in that promise is a check made out for the first year's tuition. Hmm. Let's test this out, right? So you go to the UCLA tuition center, it doesn't exist, but whatever, right? And you give it to the lady at the desk. She puts it in. She's all right, you're good. You're squared away. It went through. You're like, what? There's actually money in this check? You're like, yep, that's the, you're good for the first year. How do you know that all the promises that you read about are actually going to come true? You've received the down payment, you've received the first check. And what Paul's actually saying here is, you want to know that this is true? You've actually already received the Holy Spirit. He's the down payment of all that is to come. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. And it's funny that when Paul prays that we would know this power, he doesn't say, I pray that you know the power that God has over hurricanes, the power that God has over tornadoes, the power that God has when he led his people through the Red Sea, when he you know, saved the people from the fiery furnace, or the power that Jesus used to walk on water. He says the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Because according to Scripture, that is the greatest display of God's power ever. Why? Well, how do you measure power? By that which it is able to overcome. An army is powerful because of who they're able to overcome. What is the one enemy that no one has ever been able to defeat? Death. And 2,000 years ago, God defeated death in Jesus Christ. He, his heart on the cross actually stopped beating. And he was laid into a grave. And three days later, he broke the chain of death. And he came out, and God says that the spirit that did that for him is in you. And it is true of us. And that is a secure and certain hope, the true foundation of your life. But I'm going to land the plane here. Where is all this taking place? Where is the location that this power is at work? Verse 22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church? Really? 
I don't know what your experience of church is. You're in church, you know, now, but like, you know, growing up maybe, for as I, I was a kid, I was like, oh, the church is so awkward. Church is so weird, right? You know, it's this dusty hymn books, and Eula May gets up and sings, do you have your ticket to heaven? You're like, oh, man, come on, really? The church? And then, I, of course, I lead this guy's Bible study at UCLA, which is like made up of Christians and a lot of non-Christians, and we were had this discussion where people were like, yeah, but the, who believes in the church anymore? Yeah, you know, that's what people were saying. And I was like, you know, I, I believe that. You know, it, it is, it's hard to believe in God, but it's even harder sometimes for people to believe in the church. Because the church has been the place of so much injustice. The crusades, the inquisition, segregation. I mean, and the church has done really terrible things in which we need to repent of. We need to do better. But the church is also the bride of Christ. The church is where God's power is. It's in the church that people are getting baptized. That People are moving from death to life. The power of evil is being broken and new life is happening. And of course, yes, the church has been the place of evil things too. It's always half put together and half falling apart. But the church since the New Testament has always been that way. Read 1 Corinthians, right? I don't know if you guys have heard of this thing that LeBron James did called the I Promise School. This is in Akron, Ohio. But LeBron James took his money and his resources and he poured it into this school so that kids can have free food, free textbooks. Teachers are empowered to actually be able to teach. For kids who graduate, there's like college scholarships for them. Basically, it's like the opposite of Michael Scott, Scott Tots, right? Like LeBron James actually comes through on his promises. And those kids' lives are going to be changed. Why? Because LeBron James has poured his money and his resources into that school. It's, go- it's not going to fail. It's going to succeed. You need to be in the place where God has poured his resources, where God has promised that it will not fail, and that is the church. Listen, I don't know, what's, I don't know how much longer we're going to be on this earth. You know? I don't know if like 500 or 5,000 years from now, you know, like America is gone. It's like the federation of the Game of Thrones. I have no idea, but I can promise you the church will still be there. The church has always been there. Rome tried to destroy the church, but now Rome is a tourist attraction and the church is all over the world. God's church will not fail because that is where the power is and you need to be in that place, the place where the resurrection power of Christ is unleashed. And God will put his beautiful, redeemed, diverse people on display for the whole creation to see. Now, I don't know if maybe you're new to Journey South Bay. I want you to consider being a part of this community. It's not perfect. No church is. But it is the place where God's working. It is the place where God is changing people's lives. You cannot do the Christian life on your own. It is not, we cannot be the church as an individual. We need the church. And I want you to know if that makes you curious, please keep coming back. Um, if you didn't like this sermon, that's okay. I won't be here next week. Alex will be, so that'd be good. Um, but whatever it is, whoever's speaking, whatever is happening, I, I'm not the church. The church is the place where God is at work, where new life is happening, and you need to be constantly reminded of who you are. His steadfast love is sure and certain, and it's a foundation on which to build your life. It might not change your circumstances, but it will change you. Do you want that? Are you curious? Consider it an invitation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us, that you love us, 
that you have given us your spirit as a down payment, as a guarantee of everything that is promised. Thank you for loving Journey South Bay. Thank you for being faithful to this church. Thank you, Lord, that your saints are here this morning worshiping you. Lord, I pray that you will help us all to see who we are in you. That we will know your love, your power, and that you will give us your strength to live out the calling of the Christian life. Would you make us the aroma of Christ all around Los Angeles? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.